This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Our guest today is fragrance expert Dolores Vinci, creator and owner of Vinci and Rakos, who makes sense, an online boutique of custom blended perfumes with a line of over 200 fragrances and body, bath, and spa care products. And I'm Mary Elkins. Dolores has an extensive background in marketing and product development at major cosmetics companies such as Jaffa Cosmetics, which is a division of Gillette, Clairol, and the Max Factor division of Revlon, where she was senior director of marketing and directed the creation of fragrances and cosmetics for actors Jacqueline Smith and Jane Seymour, and won the Fifi Award for Smith Fragrance, which is the Oscar of the fragrance industry. She also had a storefront retail boutique emporium in Los Angeles called Who Makes Sense, where she launched her own product line and introduced the Vinci and Rakos Fragrance Bar. Welcome, Dolores. Thank you. Love to be here. Fabulous. Can you please share your story about (laughs) growing up and how your passion for fragrance began? Believe it or not, my mother and my aunts, my father was one of six sisters and brothers and everything like that. They all love fragrance and I love body care products. So as a kid, I sort of learned what it was like to smell good and feel good. Uh, And then I got a job at, remember JJ Newberry's? Remember JJ Newberry's? Yes. So I started there as a teenager in the cosmetic department. And so I just learned everything about people coming into the store to buy fragrances and cosmetics and body care products and everything like that. So I always had that in the back of my mind, sort of tucked in there because I like just love the way it felt and I love the feeling working with the customers. Fast forward years later, when I ended up in New York City, I ended up working for Clairol. And Clairol at that time was owned by Bristol Myers. And we were very fortunate because the chairman of the Ford of Bristol Myers loved um, the fragrance industry and loved being in the cosmetic business, even though that wasn't their mainstay of business. So we were like their stepchild there. And so we got to do phenomenal things that the other people couldn't do. And while I was there, I was supposed to be in sales promotion. But one day my boss who hated the cosmetic industry and uh, sent me up to Stanford, Connecticut to work with the laboratory. And I had never done anything like this before. And I walked in and at that time, when you're in the cosmetic industry, you had to approve you and marketing first production of any uh, new item. So you had to go in and approve like a million pieces or 2 million pieces of whatever they were running. And you also have to approve the equipment, which nobody does that anymore. And so I went up and they said to me, we're going to go into production. We're doing lipsticks and we have six new lipstick shades. 
lip gold, I think they were called, and you have to approve all the batches. So I said, oh, okay. So they took out the samples and I was approving them. And I said, this one's got too much green in it. This has got too much black. There's not enough color. There's not enough this, not enough. They were, the lab was amazed. And I thought I was in trouble and was gonna be let go at that moment. Ended up that they realized that I had, a, um, my senses were off the charts and my seeing ability and smelling ability was something they hadn't seen in years. This, these were the chemists and production people. And so from that moment on, I ended up moving into uh, marketing and new product development just from that situation. And That's I got amazing. To, yeah, and I got to go to the laboratory up in Stanford, Connecticut from New York City on the train. And I would go um, like two or three times a week and I would work with these incredible European chemists that worked in the laboratory. And lucky for me, um, one of the gentlemen, Zoltan Horvath, who at the time probably was about 100 already, um, he just took me under his wing and, and I spent days and days and days and hours with him and on the phone and learning everything about equipment and production and packaging and, I mean, color and everything and how the lab worked and how you have standards and how you match against them. And same thing with fragrance. And it sort of started that way because you have to also work with fragrances that are in the products, like in the body care products or in the mm -hmm. lipsticks or stuff like that. So you have to, that's a whole different thing that goes on. And so that was very fortunate for me. And so that went on for about six or seven years, um, which was on the job training, which uh, no one does this anymore. And, and I, be honest with you, it was the best way to learn the industry. Plus you also got to work with all the vendors. You had to meet mm -hmm. with the vendors that were supplying the chemicals or the fragrances or the packaging also, which was amazing. And then after that, I ended up at, um, then I ended up in, when I ended up in California, I ended up with Jafra, uh, which was the division of, uh, that was a division of Gillette at that time. And because I already had all this experience, they allowed me to do all new product development and marketing. And so I think at that time we had like, I don't know, 20 lines. We did everything from uh, bath delays to lotions to fragrances, just about everything. And again, had first production approval with all the vendors and everything. So we, I had to meet with all. So they got, in other words, I was good because I was like the, you know, that would have taken three people and they had three people rolled up and win one with me. You know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. that worked mm -hmm. out better for the companies because I could do things that most people didn't have the background in. So I learned, uh, again, working with production people and on the, on the production lines all the time, working in the laboratory all day long with these people, as well as doing the marketing for the brands. Mm -hmm. And so, which was incredible. So then when I ended up eventually in uh, Max Factor at Revlon, um, but I was very fortunate again, because all the people that work at Revlon and Max Factor and all their divisions, like uh, Almay and all the rest of them, everybody has to go into a central group in Revlon. Because I had the background, I didn't have to. I was allowed to work with all the vendors directly. I didn't have to go through anybody. I mean, all of this sounds like you had 18 hour days. We had, it we, does. We, the, the days are, the days were enormous. I mean, you cannot believe it. I mean, you'd start, especially at the last one, when I was working with Jack Smith and James Carr, you know, you'd get there at like, you know, eight in the morning and you're lucky if you got home at midnight. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it's a lot of time and a lot of work. And then you're traveling, you, you do a lot of traveling because right. we were in California and, and Wilshire, Wilshire and Bundy and you had to go back to a Revlon meeting once a month. So you spent a week uh, every month in uh, New York. So at that time I was actually bi-coastal. 
And the same thing at Jaffer too. I had to go to Boston. So you end up almost once a week, once a week out of every month and back on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And then you have, a, you have a department of people also. So you have all that other kind of stuff that goes on too. What an incredible, good. unique work experience. Yeah, Mary, it was so unique. I can't tell you. I mean, and that's why when I eventually left and started my own business, uh, it was easier for me. I One of the young men that used to work for me, Rakos, his name was Andrew Rakos. He went with me and we decided to start our own business. And what we learned all those years, what you've learned is... Um, I decided that when we were going to open up a store, that we were going to cater mostly to men. I mean, we really decided to go after the men because we knew that they were being uh, underserved. And we found out over all those years, the men really didn't like going to the department stores. They, they didn't feel welcome. And they really weren't welcome in those days. I mean, you know, we're talking like 30 years ago. They really weren't welcome. And they were embarrassed. So when we set up the uh, store, we set it up like my dad's bar. Like my, I grew up in a restaurant in a tavern. We set it up that way. We'd have sampling and you'd have chairs around like you were sitting at a bar. Oh, gee, Dolores, how incredible. And you're answering so many of the questions we have planned for you. <laughs> I know. Um, I and we would love to have you el- elaborate later, uh, okay. both about uh, working with the cosmetics companies and about launching your online boutique and your store. But first, we want to talk about the health benefits uh-huh. of scents and how smells can affect your emotions and your well-being. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. Um, not everybody, I, you know, I read constantly and I'm always looking at books and stuff like that. Um, I've always been brought up that, you know, fragrances are based on your emotions or your past history and something that you remember from before. And some people think it's also a sexual thing if you remember something that was positive. Um, but there are some people that think that that's not true because everything is based on memory. Some, some therapists, some people think that. I've always been brought up the other way. That's all based on memory and how you feel and something. And there's a term, let me see if I can get this straight for you. There's a term called associative learning, which means people think that they've learned something from before. And that's why they go forward with a fragrance, say, or a product that they remember from before. And I've always felt that. And then also with fragrances, we found that fragrances actually help to change your mood. In other words, if you're going to go into smell a fragrance, you should only smell a fragrance when you're in a good mood. A lot of people go in and buy a fragrance because they're in a bad mood and they think it's going to make them feel better. Now they're down and it's been a bad day. But that kind of gets your psyche into a negative mood to start with. So you're actually better off going into a store if you want to buy a fragrance when you're in a happier, better mood because your ability to smell is actually better than it is when you're in a negative um, situation. Uh, and, and fragrance is supposedly the most potent of all of our senses in terms of how people react and how people feel. It's your, you know, your sense of smell. And what's interesting about smell is that I wouldn't know right now if Kathy was smelling a fragrance right now because I wouldn't be able to know. You can't, I can't tell her if you were smelling something right now. We all have the same fragrance right now we were smelling. I wouldn't know because I couldn't tell you were smelling it. Because it's hmm. in the air, more or less. You know what I'm saying? It's it's mm-hmm. it's around you, yeah. uh, and so I wouldn't really know. 
But everybody's reaction to fragrance to me is completely different. You might like, like you and I have gone over some fragrances recently that I thought you might like, but you're not as happy with, you know what I mean? Because they don't seem to react on that either the same way it would on somebody else. Um, but fragrance- Yes, because when someone wears a fragrance, it behaves differently on different, different skin. chemistry. Different blood uh, types, your, maybe? Yeah, on your, on your blood type, if you're on medication, it changes if you're on medication. Mm. Uh, it also has a lot to do with, you know, uh, the time of the month for certain women. Certain women fragrances, you know, uh, to some women feel that in certain times of the month, certain fragrances don't work on them. If you're taking a lot of uh, chemicals, um, a lot of fragrances, like I had a lot of clients that had cancer, and a lot of fragrances would smell tinny on them, very tinny, very metal-like because of their interaction with the drugs they were using. Mm. So we would always make sure that we did fragrances that had more muskier kind of undertones, things like that. So it would be be more wearable for them. I also had some clients that had no sense of smell at all. They lost their sense of smell. And so we worked with them. Uh, One was in a car accident and one just, it was a hereditary born that way. And so we would work with them to make sure what they were wearing would smell good for them when they would go into a meeting and things like that. And because people's reaction to them were positive, that made them feel better also. But regarding the health end of it, um, fragrance, there's been tons and tons of studies on it that fragrance really can help people's mood and it can help them when they don't feel good uh, to uplift their spirits. There's been some studies done with women that are in prisons or you know, same thing in hospitals, even though hospitals, they don't really want you to wear fragrance, yeah. but a lot of people do want to wear fragrance because they think it makes them feel better and uplifts their spirits. Um, and certain fragrances can make you happy and certain fragrances can make you feel energized. You know, like some people think that citrus fragrances and eucalyptus are invigorating. Um, some people think that lavender is calming. Mm-hmm. For me, calming, no, lavender for me makes me crazy. <laughs> I and cannot, I love lavender. Now, I know you love lavender. Uh, lavender to me is just makes, you know, it just doesn't work with me. It makes me, makes my head hurt when I smell. And I work with a lot, but it doesn't work with me. And a lot of it based on things from your memory and stuff like that. And also- I love what you said about memory because the my favorite scents that I have now are the ones that I discovered in a boutique in Paris or right. on a trip. And it takes me to that place when I wear right. it. That's right. why I, I like it. I feel the same way. Um, I w- uh, if I smell a banana, uh-huh. I, can, I have a memory of my grandmother's banana bread and how right. the whole house smelled when I was a child. And I agree with you, Kathy, with all the fragrances from the past. It just brings you on a trip to Paris or to Rome or New London. York. Or, well, so, or even a, a boyfriend that you yeah. had a long time ago. Well, the interesting thing is that sometimes when you meet somebody and they smell like a boyfriend you may have had when you were 16 and you now meet, which didn't maybe end well, and you smell somebody now with, a, with some notes on that smell similar, sometimes you're not quite sure why you don't like the person. And sometimes it's not the person himself or the personality. Sometimes it's just, it, there's a bad memory. I mean, I can't, mm. I can't sometimes be in a room with some people because I can smell them. I know it sounds crazy, but I can smell odor and, you know, what comes from You're probably from smelling some of their emotions too, right? Yes, yes, yes. Not everybody, I'm glad you mentioned that, Kathy, because not everybody accepts that as a concept. And I do accept it as a concept. I do 
I personally think you can smell people's emotions. I mean, I really do think you can. You and can also tell- you have a very, very trained, highly developed sense of smell. So that's enabling that. Well, when, when I back, the one quick thing about when I was at uh, Clarewall, they tested about 45 of us for our senses. And so they tested us for all of them, sight, sight smell, whatever, all six of them. And um, when I, I was off the charts, so I was allowed to evaluate my sense of touch and everything is off the charts, you know, and still is. And so that helped me to do product development and packaging too, because when you feel mm-hmm. stuff, you want to make sure people like the way it feels and stuff like that. Um, but when you do meet people, sometimes you meet somebody and you're not quite sure if you want to be with them or like them. Sometimes it's personality, but there are some times that you might pick up an odor from somebody uh, that may remind you of something from your past. Something could be pleasant and something could be, well, I don't remember that kind of thing. You know, I remember my father used to use Noxzema. And every time I smell somebody who's got Noxzema on or something like Noxzema, I think, of, oh, my God, I remember my dad used to use that kind of product. Yeah. You know, it was, it's kind of a good memory. Yeah, that's uh, fun when you have yeah. one of those, right? Yeah. haven't you had that experience when you've met somebody mm -hmm. yeah and you're saying and sometimes it's unfortunate you meet somebody that you thought you were going to like and you say oh my god what are they wearing and it just conjures up um some people don't think that fragrance is based on memory but uh, boy i haven't figured out why they say it's it's only your imagination. i just read a book the other day about that and i still think it's all based i think memory is a good thing you know, it's yes, funny. and we wanted to ask you, because when you were with Jafra and Max uh-huh. Factor, you traveled to a number of countries. Yes. So which, which countries were these, and what was your takeaway from, from those um, travels? When, I, when we traveled, um, we went to the one, I remember this one year we had to go to, we went to Italy, we went to Italy, France, Germany, and there's another one, oh, London, England. So we went to the four countries and I had to visit vendors and stuff because we were working on new formula develop. We were doing on new formulas and packaging and stuff like that, which was fun. Each of them are completely different. And contrary to what everybody thinks, everybody, no, a lot of people don't realize that all of those people in all those countries don't exactly get along with each other. Thanks. You know, we think about Pennsylvania, New Jersey, it's close. But when we were traveling, because I was traveling with a lot of the vendors to go to packaging shows and stuff like that. And so you go to one, even if you're with the people from Italy and France, it doesn't mean the people from Germany are that happy to be in the same group with the vendors from that country. <laughs> very interesting. Um, I did very mm-hmm. well. I did very well working with um, in Italy and France. Didn't ever seem to do very well in um, England or in Germany because mm-hmm. I looked, well, in those days, you know, it was a few years ago uh, because I look so Italian, uh, Jewish, uh, Mexican. You know, I've kind of got that look. And in England in those days, they weren't very, um, they really didn't promote women in business in those days when you were mm, yeah. in England. Oh, in England, you'd go into the restaurant and uh, I was meeting some vendors and I would go down to the restaurant to meet them and they put me in the back of the potted plant and there was nobody around me. <laughs> and finally I would say, and they'd say, well, you know, you're a woman in business. We don't, women in business are just so different from what we have here in the country. So things have changed a lot, but we went Good. through the days when they didn't want women, uh, they didn't want business. Do you remember, do you remember Bob Geldorf who did Live Aid? Bob Geldorf. Yeah, oh, absolutely. sure. He's a friend of my husband's. Oh, well, I'm going to tell you a funny story yeah. about him. I was in the elevator in the hotel in London, and I had just come back from another part of uh, England, and I got in the elevator, and uh, he had been very mean to me the whole time. Not Bob Geldorf, the manager of the hotel, because I was a woman. 
And even though Gillette owned the company, and Gillette was their biggest supplier, but whatever, all of a sudden the elevator closed like this, and Bob Geldorf is there because they're doing Live Aid at that time. So he opens the door for me, and he lets me in, and Gemma, oh, don't worry about her. That's just some dumb American woman, you know, here for business. Bob Geldorf stops the elevator and he said, I'm doing Live Aid and I'm working with all these people and you're treating this American woman the way you are. How about if we just move everybody out of your hotel? Now, how can you do this to a woman and how can you do it? I mean, so Bob Geldorf saved me. I want you to know on that trip. Good, because he threatened to pull out of the, pull out all the business. He wouldn't know me if he fell over me, but it was like, yeah five-minute elevator ride with Bob Geldorf saving me and, oh. and you know he could not believe how horrible they were to you know with women in those days but you know things have obviously changed a lot uh, but in those days there weren't a lot of women um that were traveling by themselves I mean it just didn't happen in those days but it was great Italy was fabulous France was fabulous and we would go to these packaging shows um in Italy every other year but people would come in from all over the world we would visit their booths and you'd see every country you could possibly think of the last time I went there, my relatives in Italy in the Tuscan region went with me because they speak Italian. So they went with me and which was fun. And, and you can go to the different booths and, you know, help and you know try to decide, you know, what you need or don't need. But working with Jacqueline Smith, you asked me about that before. Uh, it was fun working with Jacqueline and, and Jane Seymour, completely different personalities. Um, really wonderful. Jacqueline was very huggy bear, kissy face kind of thing. When you write their you have to write the specifications for the fragrance vendors to give you the samples that you want. So you'd meet with Jacqueline, you know, I'd go to her house and she would make a soup. She'd make great soup. You know, and, that was my next question for you yeah. about the Fifi Award and working with Jacqueline and Jane Seymour. Yeah, Jacqueline was great. Jacqueline was great. Uh, we did the California, Jacqueline Smith, California for men and women. But she, I mean, when you write your profile for the fragrance houses, you have to go into tremendous detail you know, what the notes are supposed to be like and who it's going after, age bracket and packaging, everything. But Jacqueline Smith wanted to smell like Mrs. Fields chocolate chip cookies. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Which meant- That's interesting. Wanted, yeah, and she liked heliotrope and she liked amber. And those were kind of the notes that she liked. She wanted something very warm and very cuddly and very, you know, people would gravitate to you. Um, because she had been with Max Spector years and years before them. And the fragrance that she was um, like the spokesperson for, it was a very green fragrance, you know, and she's not a green person. And that's not her background is green. Being very forest, very, uh, you know, tree-like. Mm. And that's not her thing. And it did not do that well. Um, and so she wanted something that really was herself. And so we worked on all these samples. And the funny thing is, I can tell you now, but we had... You, you go through and you have like six at the end that you're testing these big panels. And there was a panel winner, which means one of them usually ends up winning as the panel winner because it just happens that way. And it wasn't the one that Jacqueline and I wanted. So she, we, we met and I said, I, I'm not going with the one that won. And she said, I can't either. So we sort of stormed into the, the president of Max Factor and Ron Perlman who owned Revlon was also our boss. I, we had a dotted line into him because his son worked for me. So I said, Ron, I'm not going with the panel winner. I will quit. 
fine. And Jacqueline won't support it. So you have your choice to make. <laughs> and we went with hers, the, the choice that we both wanted, which is a very warm, cuddly fragrance with lots of amber and vanilla in it and everything. And we did about 60 million in the first couple of weeks. You know, we, <laughs> we did like 100 million within the year because it was her brand. We launched it at Bloomingdale's also. Um, and, and it was her brand. It was her, you know, and, and she was being true to her scent. But she was right. I mean, she stuck to her guns. I think and were there some of the same things with Jane Seymour? Well, Jane was different in the sense that we didn't launch a we launched a new fragrance with Jane, but it was um, not to the extent of what we do. It wasn't a big national. It was just a line extension for her at that time. Um, the person that had the best Q scores at that time was uh, uh, Jack was Jacqueline. Yeah, you know, Q score. You know what the Q scores are, right? Q scores are what happens. I think you should explain them to everybody. Okay. Well, Q scores are the ratings that come in when people that are watching TV or the awareness level of somebody in the entertainment industry. And so Jacqueline Smith, even though she hadn't had a TV show for a very long time, but she had done Kmart for years, um, she was still there. At that time, she was very, very high up there with recognition of people, and people liked her. Mm-hmm. Jane people liked, but she was not the same situation in terms of um, the likability and approachability. Mm-hmm. Jacqueline always had approachability issues in a good way. And so that's one of the reasons why we went after the, um, um, more with Jacqueline at that time, because the, it was kind of ripe for that. Plus, she was also a California person. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and Jane was considered mostly England, you know, even though. So that was, it true. was before Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman then. Um, because, boy, yeah. she was on that show for years. Was, but they still looked at her as being English with the accent and everything. How you funny. Know, as opposed to, you know, but so the Q scores at that time were Jacqueline. Uh, Jacqueline's were still off the chart because of Charlie's Angels. And stuff. Exactly. Like a lot of residual yeah. stuff. But she just had a very approachable. When we launched it at Bloomingdale's, uh, we did two versions, the Eau de Parfum and then the Eau de Cologne. And uh, the amount of people that showed up at Bloomingdale's were unbelievable i mean they were out the door around the corner for her she was just she still was at that time you know still considered to be you know an icon because that was you know we're talking about now you know 20 what nine years ago or something uh, are she, those fragrances still in existence uh well when revlon sold max factor and sold it to p and g they're around but they're Supposedly, the reason why the P&G wanted it was because they had their other, they had their own celebrities doing their fragrances, so they didn't want too much competition. We probably never knew for sure exactly what happened there, but mm. they're around. But it's 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 almost impossible to get them. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about your experience working with Jafra, Max Factor, and Clairol as to what you learned and what challenges you faced when you were working there. Um, I, you know, for me, it was. Um, because I had always worked, I didn't work with as many women as people do today because there weren't that many women in, in the business when I was there. So I usually, I worked with mostly men. And I have to be honest with you, growing up in a tavern, a restaurant as a kid, helped me tremendously to go to be in business because we were used to men. I mean, you were just used to men and working with, you know, my father's vendors and stuff like that. So, but I, I did learn that you really do have to be, um, how could I say this? You have to be assertive. There's no question. You also have to not let them run all over you, you know, uh, especially when you're in positions where you know more than they do. 
uh, you know, in, in the fragrance end of it and, and body care products and stuff like that, you have to sort of let them know that you know. Because today, I think that sometimes women, I hate to say this, sometimes we just say, we're sorry and thank you too much. And I think sometimes we just have to take the bull by the horns and um, be a little bit more aggressive. And I also think we have to be, um, we have to show our knowledge a little bit more than I think that a lot of women, I, I don't mean this in a critical way, but I think sometimes we're just not sure about it. And I think I did learn at a very early age because um, I was a director at Joffrey at 27, which was almost unheard of. Two women and 27 men, and I was 27 years. Because, uh, because I proved myself, because I knew what I was talking about. So they, they allowed me to you know, do what I wanted to do. So I think that's a good thing. I think that- Did you feel thing. a lot of resentment from them all along the way? I, I, only, I felt resentment more from the women than I did the men. Oh. Yeah, not, not so much from the men. I mean, I'm not saying that there weren't one or two men that said, what is she doing there? But once you bring in a lot of money for them, they don't, no one says anything anymore. It was more from the women. And I think, I mean, it was more the women than the men. Were you uh, the only woman who was allowed into the chemist's buildings and working with them? And in no, there were, no, because they had, some, they had lab women that were there. That they had women that were in lab, um, but most of them didn't really want to. I mean, I, I grew up a different way, so I was comfortable in the laboratory. I mean, I loved going into the laboratory, even when at the last at Revlon, I would go meet with all the people at the lab because we were. I'm just so used to it. So, for, and I could talk their language, and they could talk my language, and they could say things to me about the machine and the needle nose and that. I knew what they were talking about, so that was probably a little easier for me. Mm -hmm. A lot of people really did want that responsibility. I loved it. I thought. I think to me, that's the only way you can do a great fragrance. I'll give you an example. Fragrances, you know, when you get, when you buy a fragrance and you read the description of it, or I never wrote the descriptions of the fragrances with my line now based on what's 100% in the fragrances. I based, I write the copy based on what you think it smells like. Mm -hmm. Very good. A lot of people, we learned over the years, will say to me, I, I don't like must. I will never wear a must. Okay, so what fragrance of mine are you wearing? Earth. Well, earth is a musk. <laughs> it's a white musk. But because they ingrained somewhere in their mind that um, musk is like from, you know, 100 years ago, and it's Haight-Ashbury, you know, San Francisco, and it's going to stink. Um, so I just started writing copy for my 200 fragrances based on talking to my clients over the years. And so I would listen to them a lot and all the time. I have some that call me every day just to say hello. And you find out you know, what, they're, what they like or don't like. And I write as a qualifier right in my copy, in my fragrances. Uh, I do it two ways. I do it by, by um, I, I list them either by um, category or and I also list them by the name of the fragrances alphabetically. But I also do it by categories. I put them in categories for people to make it easier. Like, you know, musky, patchouli, whatever. And then some are like citrus. I kind of divide them up for people so they can narrow it down faster when they order mm -hmm. samples from me. And also I do it because my cat just went underneath my foot and was licking my toe, just so you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> was it difficult bridging the gap from corporate life to launching your own company? No. Well, I shouldn't say that. The, the, the problem was is that when you're used to buying millions of pieces of things and all of a sudden you're not buying millions of pieces and you realize now I'm not buying a million containers, I only need a couple hundred and you're working with the same vendors, that was a, that was a reality check. 
I mean, I still act like sometimes I'm working with, you know, major quantities. That was the biggest challenge for me is bringing everything back down, mm. you know, to being more realistic about working. And, and also corporate, um, sometimes with corporate, what was challenging is that if you wanted to do a new product, um, and sometimes you can do a new product based on your gut, but sometimes in corporate, big co corporations, unless you do 72 studies and stuff, you know, you kind of miss the market because, you know, it's already gone past you because you wait. Like when I was at Max Factor, we came out with Brow Tamer to tame your eyebrows, mm -hmm. but nobody bought it. I mean, thank God it wasn't my brand. Well, because now brows are in. Think mm -hmm. about that. In those mm -hmm. days, right? And it was the fabulous product that we did no color mascara and brow tamer. And the brow tamer was phenomenal. You, your brows, but nobody was into brows then. Think about that. How mm -hmm. many years it took for the market to now say, you know, everybody's now got a million Anastasia and all the rest of them, and she's fabulous. All of them have these incredible brow products now that because people That's sort right. of, you know, uh, the, the need was there and somebody, we, we actually found the need or we, See, we defined the need years ago, but we weren't spending enough money or enough. Um, we didn't spend enough time promoting it so people would understand because nobody knew what to do with it at that time. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and, 20 years ago, nobody did anything with their brows. Yeah, they right. plucked them. They plucked them all out. So right. some, they didn't grow right. back. And now we need people. tattoos. It was even, long, it was even mm -hmm. earlier than that. Yeah. And the same thing with uh, no color mascara. We did a no color mascara, mm. uh, which was a fab. No one's doing that now. But no, no color mascara was great. It'd make your lashes look real full and big with no color. <laughs> but, you know, especially if you wanted to go swimming or if you wanted to be out during the day, but you didn't want to have the color. And so we did that one, too. And a lot of people didn't know what to do with it. So but anyway, but it, it was it, I think scaling it down to be realistic. But but it was it was great. I mean, I, I can't complain at all. It was a great way because oh, the one thing I did learn, though, that I wanted to mention one of the reasons why we did what we did with the business um, and doing the fragrances, even though we did all six senses, we did everything from, you know, touch, feel, smell. You know, we had, we even had music. You know, we actually were selling music items and things like that. So we did all, the reason why the name was called Who Makes Sense was for all the senses. But uh -huh. the product line was Vinci and Rakos. Um, and my partner at the time, had the restaurant next door called Who's on Third. So it worked out perfectly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's on Third and who yeah. makes sense right next right, door? Right. Talk but more about reason, your boutique. But the thing about the boutique that was wonderful, besides having this great way for the men to come up and sit, you know, and, you know, and, and, and order products and smell things and whatever, we realized that in the industry, and I still think it's a problem today, let's just say you go into a store and uh, say, you know, you go in and you like to, there's one of the fragrances that you like. Um, and um, you want to get it now in a lotion. Well, maybe they don't make it in the lotion. They only make it in a spray. So you can buy like five different sizes of the spray in order to perfume or to clone, whatever. Um, we decided not to, we, none of our products have alcohol in it. So we, we're alcohol free. We have no alcohol in our products, right? Um, we realized that you want to buy a patchouli, say a, an amber and a patchouli, whatever blend. You can't buy it in a lotion or you can't buy it in a bath gelate because nobody sells it. So we decided to start selling everything immediately in bath gelays and massage lotions, uh, massage oil, dry body oil spray, um, spray on lotions. So we did a whole different thing. So we realized then that you, you did line extensions. And so people would buy the fragrance 
And then, oh, I want it in a lotion also, or I want it in a cream or something. And so that you can help them layer so the fragrance lasts longer on them. And not everybody likes to spray fragrances. Some people just want to wear it as a, as a lotion or as a cream. So we did that from day one. And that's really been a, um, a, a hit for us. That's really been a mainstay for us. Did you cater mainly to men at the time in men's fragrances? And in the beginning, also- no, in the beginning we did fragrances. Um, I had about 50 fragrances in the beginning and we did men's and women's and then uh, sort of like single notes. And then pretty soon on, we got rid of that concept and just did, here they are, <laughs> you know, because a lot of the male, fra- a lot of the men were wearing fragrances, like we're all almond. One of my, I have clients that were, were all almond, they were men, but it smelled phenomenal on them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, How do you distribute your products? Well, uh, now, do, you, I mean, do you still I, have the boutique or are you all oh, no, online? No, I got rid of the store in Los Angeles years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I miss it terribly. I mean, I, I loved it. It's fabulous. Because um, we had gifts, baskets and gifts. We did a lot of studio business in those days. Paramount Studios, Sony Studios. We did, uh, um, what's her name? Um, oh, Pretty Woman. What's her name? Pretty Woman. Julia Roberts. We did all Julia Roberts gift baskets and all her gifts for years also. So we did a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but then the market changed again and everything. And um, anyway, um, so no, I do everything. I don't even sell wholesale anymore because thank God, because right now it'd be a little tough to do wholesale right now. Now, I just, I love it now because I could, I work with my clients. Some of my clients I've had for 29, 30 years since I opened up the store, which has been great. Um, it would be fun. And I mean, when I first started out with my store, we were asked to do um, QVC and places like that. And we mm-hmm. said, no. Uh, we all, Bert, Bert Gifman's also asked us to do a booth there. And we said, no. Looking back now, we probably should have. But we had just come off corporate, corporate, working with Bloomingdale's and everybody. And we kind of got tired of all of that. Not that it wasn't great, but, you know, the fixturing and how much money mm-hmm. you have to get into the uniforms, all the women were wearing the Jacqueline Smith uniforms and all that kind of stuff that you had to do in those days. So I think if somebody had asked us two or three years after that, we probably would have said yes. But we were just so tired of all the other things that you had to do. You know, how much money you had to spend on all of the fixturing and stuff. Yeah. Today, it's a little different now. The companies buy you out and then they take care of most of the stuff that you have to do. Yeah, How do you market your products now? I mean, I mainly I have all the people that have been with me for all these years and I do my mailings. Um, I do a mailing like every three weeks to my clients. Um, But I've got a lot of mainstay people like the man that just ordered for me is a lawyer. uh, He just ordered eight gifts, nine gifts to go some to Portugal, some gifts because I've been doing his gifts for like, you know, 24 years now. So I have a lot of that goes on. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. I'm okay with that right now because I'm also working on new product development. Like the body butter is that's new. That's a new formula. The body butter, the one that you liked, you know, it's a yeah, great it's, formula. It's wonderful. I've tried it. It's just it makes my skin really soft and yeah, it that's a great, great. That's a great formula. And I also work with uh, great uh, vendors that I've known forever, and they all do GMPs, which are good manufacturing practices. It's called GMPs, it's called good manufacturing practices. They're all people that have been certified, and you know, they've been in business forever. So I've been very lucky working with people like that, that I've known for years and years also to get formulas and stuff like that. And, you know, and they worked with me because I didn't want any alcohol in my um, sprays. So I don't don't call them colognes. I call mine dry body oil sprays because I don't use alcohol. So I can't call them cologne or do I want to. And that's worked out for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I could spend more time probably on marketing and things like that, which I need to start doing again. But COVID really, for me, ended up being um, 
it was hard, but it ended up being okay for me in the sense that my clients, you know, would just call up and order. You know, most of my clients just call me up and order, or they go onto my website, but most of them just call me up because they've been with me for so long. Um, <laughs> Fabulous. And- it's yeah, a beautiful so that, website too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yes. In fact, I'm in the process of redesigning it. I've got to redesign it a little bit, put some new products in there. So, but go, just one thing I want to mention about the health thing to go back to it, because I know we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the question that Kathy had about the health thing. I think that, um, I think a lot more companies today are using fragrance as a branding tool. They're using fragrance as a branding tool, hmm. meaning like when you go into, say, some stores, you could smell fragrance already when you go in. Right. Um, sometimes the airlines do in the airline when you go onto the plane, you can smell some odors, um, and they're doing it because they want some people to associate a fragrance with the store. So that's a branding tool that they've been using. And if they can get the right fragrance, um, people will associate it with that store, and they'll come back to that store. That's a technique that they've been using maybe for like the last maybe 15 years. People just don't talk about it, but it is a branding tool. And because it makes you feel better, uh, usually. Now, if you want somebody to get more stimulated, like I had a friend of mine who does fragrances for a living, her, her company, and she had to come up with the fragrance called Banana Breath for one of the, um, what do you call it? One of the King Kong characters. And she had to make it smell like he had bad breath with bananas in it. So, And, so, and they wanted that on purpose. So when the kids went by, uh, that particular animal at whatever, uh, wherever it was in Hollywood or wherever, that kid would smell that and say, oh, Ma, you know, this is, you know, and it makes him want to come back again because he he likes the way that animal is. So there's a oh. lot of techniques with using fragrances now that most people don't think about. It's yeah. Maybe they'll do smell-o-vision in the movies again. Well, you know, they tried that for a while. I mean, yeah. that, that was tried for a while. And yeah. um, I think some people felt that it, was irritating um the problem but we're is, all used to the smell of popcorn well, and, and, and that's the thing that you i i know i mean i understand why people did not want it not to smell like popcorn or chocolate because that's what you smell of when you go to a movie that's what you want you want to smell yeah. like popcorn and you know trust me there are people i have fragrance vendors of mine that only do food fragrances they don't do fine fragrances they do the butter and they do the smells that go into uh, spices and the smells that go into um, uh, uh, food, food flavors and stuff like that. Or they specialize in fragrances that go into, say, if you want to use pledge, you know, pl- uh, you know lemon pledge. Mm-hmm. That's a different lemon that goes into what you're going to use when you do um, like a lemon fragrance to smell on you. It's a whole different category. It's a whole different thing. Thank you so much. You've, you've given us so much insight into the world of fragrance. It's a huge, wonderful, exciting world. Yeah, it is. It's great. And our, our guest today on Late Boomers has been Dolores Vinci, fragrance expert, creator, and owner of online boutique Vinci Raycoats that custom blends perfumes with their line of over 200 fragrances and body, bath, and spa care products. Thanks, Dolores. And Thank you, Dolores so can be found at vinci-raycos.com on Instagram at Vinci, uh, Vinci Raycos. And when you put that in, it'll come up who makes sense because that's also her company. And she's on Twitter and Facebook. Check her out on social media. And listeners, please give us some feedback for our Late Boomers podcast by visiting our website, lateboomers.biz. 
BIZ and hit the contact button to email us or DM us on Instagram, of course, after you follow us on there. And we are here to serve, entertain, and inspire you. Thanks again, Dolores. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.